If you'll join me for today's scripture reading, we'll be reading from Matthew 5, 3 through 10. In our Pew Bibles, this is page 809. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Mark. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at Regen. And I'm filling in for Pastor Albert as he's away uh, reconnecting with his family. He's been working a lot, so we wanted to give him that time. Um, So it's an honor and privilege to be up here speaking to you this morning. Uh, Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning uh, that we get to be together. Uh, worshiping you. Uh, We thank you that you are a sovereign and loving God. Lord, we just ask that you would uh, speak through me and uh, allow uh, hearts to be softened and that you would change our lives and we'd be touched by your gracious love. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to be in the book of Matthew and taking a look at the uh, Beatitudes. Uh, Personally, I've been in the Beatitudes with uh, some discipleship groups and our home group. And some of you may be getting into this as well. Uh, We have a curriculum called the Ninefold Path that we've been using. And it uses the wisdom of Jesus through his words in the Beatitudes. I just want to take a minute to plug this real quick. Uh, This has been mentioned before, but... Uh, we've launched some discipleship groups here at Regen, and we want to build a culture of discipleship. And these are uh, intentional groups of three to five men or women. And uh, if you are following Jesus and being changed by Jesus and are committed to Jesus, then you are a disciple. And we encourage you to be a part of something like that. Uh, and we're slowly growing our leadership base of men and women um, that are committed to drawing people together and teaching them to follow the ways of Jesus. And if you have the heart of a disciple maker and if you're willing to lead people in that, come talk to me or Steph. Uh, also, if you're interested in being a part of a group like that, uh, we would welcome you and come talk to me. Okay, so the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it's a pretty interesting uh, gospel in a literary sense. In its cultural context, its language usage, and in the way it's structured. And I say this even because even in the Beatitudes themselves, um, we can see this as well. And it's fascinating to me to see the nuances and rhythms and the personality of the authors, that God reveals his character and will, and we get to see those things come to fruition in our lives and the lives of others. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So in the Sermon of the Mount, 
this is the first five discourses of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, the Beatitudes give us a whole lot to wrestle with. And I'm not going to go through each Beatitude in depth, but my hope is that even as I breeze through uh, some of the Beatitudes, that I encourage you to be curious and to wrestle over some of these characteristics that make up a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And today I want to draw our attention especially to the word righteousness and to consider the phrase the kingdom of heaven. And my prayer for us today is that as we get into the Beatitudes, um, that the righteousness of Christ would be our sole satisfaction and reward. So I'll read through the Beatitudes real quick. And as you follow along, I just want you to notice the structure of the Beatitudes. Very obviously, you'll see the repetition of each blessedness followed by a promise. So I'm going to start from Matthew 5.1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So first thing we can consider is, what does Jesus mean by blessed? The Greek word for blessed is makareos, and it's simply defined as happy. Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking, really? That's it? Just happy? But we associate with happiness in two ways. On one hand, we experience happiness through just positive emotions. Like for me, I experience happiness by eating a really good pizza. And that would be a long fermented dough. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a chef, so hold on. I'm long fermented dough that bubbles and chars in the oven crushed tomato sauce, anchovies, or even better, bocorones, which are those white marinated anchovies, some shaved garlic, a little grana padano, and finish with a zhuzh of olive oil. That's happiness for a little while for me. Um, but once that pizza is gone, and I've paid that fat, disturbing bill, uh, those endorphins wear off, and so does that happiness. So happiness like that is fleeting, right? But there's also happiness that is more than just good feelings. What Jesus is talking about is a true happiness that is deeply rooted in him. It seeks meaning and purpose and satisfaction. This is not to say that the way of happiness is easy, though. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The blessed life is often filled with the hills and valleys of life, sometimes in our disbelief, 
our obstacles, our heartache. But it's a meaningful life full of God's promises. Jesus isn't talking about fleeting happiness, but rather a deep happiness that seeks and finds satisfaction and joy in a right relationship with him. I love Psalm 119. In Psalm 119.10, the psalmist says, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I proclaim all the judgments of your mouth. I rejoice in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. So a blessed or truly happy life is a person who is seeking God with all their heart, following and being formed in the way of Jesus, living a holy life and radically loving people. So we're going to go back to our text and we'll notice each blessed characteristic of a person has been given a promise. The promise that Jesus gives us in the first and eighth beatitude is this, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse 3, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 10, again, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The phrase, the kingdom of heaven, I think, sits here like bookends. In the beginning, we're given a present promise, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, followed by six future promises stated as such, for they shall be comforted, they shall inherit the earth, they shall be satisfied, and so on. And then it's concluded with the same present assurance that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The blessing and promises in the Beatitudes ascend. They start from the first Beatitude, being the lowest person, the poorest in spirit, and then moves upward in eight characteristics and then up to being persecuted, being the eighth beatitude. By beginning and ending with the reward, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is outlining his life and ministry, highlighting a path of Christ-likeness and blessedness. From being poor and powerless baby, being born in a manger, experiencing the things of humanity through his life and ministry, and then ending with persecution, dying on the cross for us all. And that's pretty much the Beatitudes. The characteristic of each Beatitude invites a disciple of Jesus to live differently, to live a life full of truth and love in the gospel and in the way God intended it to be. By living in the ways of Jesus, we're invited to fellowship with him and enjoy a foretaste of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. But still, in the meantime, we await his full return, where he is our king and Lord over all things. So I'm going to move quickly through most of the Beatitudes, but I want you to notice just the connectedness of each Beatitude, that every Beatitude is realized because of the one prior. So again, the first Beatitude is, Blessed is pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being poor in spirit describes the lowest of positions, that being our human condition, as being brokenhearted, contrite, afflicted, oppressed and hopeless. The spiritually poor have recognized that they are fully dependent on God and need their need for a savior. The poor in spirit humbly receive salvation, not through their own effort, but as a compassionate creator who extends his grace and mercy through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. 
this person, this is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Only when a person that has come to realize their human condition of being poor in spirit will they grieve their sin, their sin around them and in the world. And out of sorrow will come the repentance and compassion. The future promise for those who mourn is comfort. Our comfort is knowing that we have been forgiven and offered salvation through Christ. And that there will one day be where God will wipe away every tear. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. The third beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek have a fear for the Lord and are humbled by his grace and mercy and the free gift of salvation. The meek don't have a self-made worldly image of themselves, but rather they have a quiet confidence and strength because they know that their true image is found in Christ. The future promise for the meek is that they shall inherit the earth and the future restoration and the fullness of God's kingdom. So we're at the fourth beatitude, and we're going to camp out here just for a little bit longer. Fourth beatitude is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now looking at the first three beatitudes, we notice that it speaks to our emptiness. But as the Spirit reveals our poverty and our grief and our meekness, we faithfully grow in response to those things. And I think Jesus is saying that there's a spiritual longing that happens from those things, and he points to himself in satisfaction. So all of you know I have two boys, uh, Emmett, who's about to be four, and Cairo, who's six. And they're just typical energetic boys. Uh, so much energy, they want to jump on me, jump on each other, and they just need to be doing stuff all the time. And so they are always hungry. When they were two, it was easy. I pretty much fed them their three meals, gave them their snacks on a schedule and a rhythm. But now, they recognize that hunger pain, and they know that they have to do something about it. <laughs> so everything, whether it's after school, ukulele, which I don't know why, he's just sitting there, jujitsu or park, it's always, I'm hungry, I need a snack. And like, you just had a snack like 30 minutes ago. Like, have some water. See, God put this powerful sensation of hunger and thirst in us so we would be able to relate to our spiritual hunger and thirst. And Jesus doesn't just speak of hunger or just of thirst. He mentions both because we can often go pretty long without food. But water is a completely different story. And the difference is between being weak and possibly death. And this is like our spiritual walk. We need spiritual nourishment and spiritual hydration. We can't read God's word and not be praying. We can't just be talking to God and not listening and being still. We can't just be Sunday worshipers. We need to be everyday worshipers and in community. And Jesus wants us to hunger and thirst for him and his righteousness. We're all hungry for something. The question is, what in life do you find yourself satisfying your hunger and thirst? For some of us, maybe it's success or fame, relationships, lust, 
just stuff. But if it's anything besides Jesus, today he's inviting you to know a different kind of satisfaction. John 6, 35, and Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. God has put this spiritual hunger and thirst in our hearts for something different, for something eternal, righteousness. Matthew 5, 20, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus isn't telling us that we have to be more or do more than the scribes and Pharisees. Rather, he's condemning them for their hypocrisy and self-righteousness. Following the Beatitudes, Jesus teaches more of his way of righteousness. Here's a few examples. I think verse 27, 28. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 38 and 39 of chapter 5, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In verse 43 and 44, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Whew. Those are hard. These, these are some of the radical ways a person who is following Jesus lives with the kingdom of heaven in mind and hungers and thirsts for righteousness. But righteousness is not something we achieve on our own efforts because that's what the scribes and Pharisees were examples of. And Jesus beat them down for that. And anyone who sets out to achieve righteousness on their own will only find themselves disillusioned and tired and worn out. The weight of God's righteousness is far too heavy for us to carry. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are transformed in the heart by truths of the gospel and met by a righteous God who gives righteousness as a free gift through Christ who has done all the work for us. By grace we are imputed the righteousness of Christ. We are sanctified not by our, our effort and religiosity, but by our soul dependence an intimate relationship with him. Just as we receive nourishment of food so we can do the physical work of the day, we also receive spiritual nourishment to be strengthened for the fight, the good fight of faith, to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfast, and gentleness. So in the next three Beatitudes, there seems to be an overflow of longing for righteousness. We move from a healthy heart to right action, We'll get the basic idea of the next three Beatitudes and then spend some time in the last where we see that righteousness reappear. So the fifth Beatitude is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The merciful know that they are dependent on God's grace and mercy because of their own sin, their weakness, their incompleteness. Having experienced God's mercy themselves, they in turn show mercy to others seeking reconciliation and forgiveness. The promise for the merciful is that they give mercy. And as they give that mercy, they shall receive mercy following Jesus in his way of compassion. 
The sixth beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart had been shown mercy through Jesus' sacrifice, making it possible for us to be cleansed and made pure. God is most concerned with our heart, that out of the abundance of our heart flows right motives and right action. But unfortunately, due to our flesh, we tend to bend. We bend away from purity and towards disbelief and fear. But the person who seeks a pure heart has a spirit of repentance and turns to God to cut the old self off. The future promise for the pure in heart is that they shall see God. They meditate on truth, whatever is noble and just, things that are pure, lovely, good rapport, and virtue and praiseworthiness. The seventh beatitude is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And being a peacemaker is no easy task. To seek peace, a person needs all the characteristics of a kingdom citizen. They need to be poor in spirit, mourning over sin, meek, longs for righteousness, merciful and pure in heart. A peacemaker actively seeks out peace through their humility, through their forgiveness, and through their reconciliation with others. But they also seek to bring out the peace in others. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit, so it's not achieved by our effort and our works. Do you ever find yourself peaceful by doing a lot of stuff? Yeah. Peace is the work of the Holy Spirit. The future promise of a peacemaker is that they shall be called sons of God. And the beauty of this promise is our communion with Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, and the Father, our God of Peace. Now we're in the eighth beatitude, and up until now, I think the disciples were probably on board with what Jesus was saying. When Jesus mentioned the poor in spirit, some of them were probably like, wow, Jesus, you know me. And he speaks of mourning, and they're like, wow, you get me, Jesus. And meek, some were like, yeah, I could use some of that. And hunger and thirst, they're like, cool metaphor. They're, they're on board and goes through all these things. And they're thinking, wow, this guy is good. I'm glad when, I, when he called me, I followed him. And then Jesus speaks this final beatitude. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine the disciples' faces and what's going on in their minds now? Maybe they start to second-guess Maybe disbelief started to creep in, if you ever get like that. And maybe Jesus takes his eye off the crowd and sees the disciples' faces, and maybe the brothers, James and John, are like nudging each other like, dude, let's go. So Jesus sees what's in their hearts, and he turns to them and clarify, to clarify, and it doesn't get much better. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So now the disciples are thinking, this guy's crazy. Because up until now, the Beatitudes speak of characteristics that are positive. 
But here at the end, we're left with what seems like a negative characteristic of being a persecuted person. And remember that the promise is like the first beatitude that we receive the kingdom of heaven. Mentioned earlier, the kingdom of heaven is like bookends containing all the characteristics of the citizens of God's kingdom. And here the final characteristic of a person in God's kingdom is one that is persecuted. We live in a world that has fallen and it sees the righteousness of Jesus and it rejects him. And as followers of Christ, we have been imputed his righteousness so the world will also reject us. 1 Peter 4, 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. Some may find it strange that the world would reject somebody like Jesus and persecute his followers. But persecution is very relevant today and it's one of the biggest human rights issues. Some statistics from 2019 from Open Door, which is an organization that supports persecuted Christians around the world. They noted 260 million Christians live in places where they are experiencing high levels of persecution. 2,983 Christians were killed for their faith. 9,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked and 3,711 Christians were detained without trial. They were arrested and sentenced or imprisoned. That's in one year. John 3.19, it says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light, lest his works should be exposed. Whatever it is, whether it's our systems, our government, oppression from other religions, uh, extremist groups, the world will reject Jesus and his followers because of his righteousness. Because it brings to light sin and evil deeds and greed and division. Jesus informed us that hate will come. He said, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And while God is sovereign and perfect in all of his ways, he also gives man free will to choose righteousness or unrighteousness. And either way, there will be eternal blessings or consequences. And God does protect what is true and eternal. By his grace, we receive salvation and the righteousness of Jesus. And nothing can separate us from the fullness of God's love. Romans 8.38 it says, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in our Christ Jesus Lord. I'm pretty sure most of us don't pray that we would experience trials and persecution but as long as you are not hiding the light of Jesus under a bushel, hiding your faith, it's not a matter of if, 
but when you meet trials and persecution. James 1, 2 through 4, it says, Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and simple, lacking nothing. Trial and persecution temper the soul, strengthening the faith, hope, and love of the believer and of the church. And if you have decided to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, by grace, you are invited to step into this new way of thinking, this new way of blessed living. The Beatitudes invite you to see the kingdom of heaven today, to recognize your spiritual poverty, to grieve the sin in you and of the world, to be humbled by grace, to have a deep longing for the righteousness of Jesus, to extend mercy, to seek purity and peace, and to allow persecution to produce joy and steadfastness and satisfaction and reward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good and loving Father. You have made us, you have created a way to experience life with you and to be satisfied and to find enjoyment and joy. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace uh, through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that as we step out of these doors and into the world, that you would continue to change our hearts, that we would know the blessed life that you have given us. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.